There is no question that IT security is becoming one of the most important areas of focus for companies large and small. As more and more data is being collected and shared, it also needs to be more protected. At Forescout, Julie Cullivan serves as the Chief People and Technology Officer and works to make sure that businesses around the world are prepared with the most advanced tech possible to keep them safe. In this episode of IT Visionaries, Julie discusses with Ian how she found her way into the world of IT and the role of CIO, what it means to be responsible for the IT security of a company, and what the future holds for this industry as a whole. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And in studio, Julie, what's going on? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's, uh, as with... All IT Visionaries episodes, we have no tech difficulties (laughs) going in. So I didn't see anything. Neither did I. Um, (laughs) Thanks so much for coming into the studio. This is a really exciting interview. You have one of the most unique backgrounds that we've we've talked to on IT Visionaries because your first role in IT was as a CIO. And we'll get into all of that and more. But first, tell me about your roles and responsibilities at Forescout. Great. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I um, have been at Forescout for about um, 18 months and um, initially came in to take on two roles. One was CIO. Company was preparing to go public and it was time for a CIO level role in IT. Came in to do that and also took on a business operations function because the company was working on a lot of business transformation, particularly around business models, licensing, those types of things. So was able to take you know those two roles and um, make an impact in a pretty short period of time thanks to a great team and very recently i just also took on the chief people officer role so my official title is chief people and technology officer so that's crazy yeah yeah it's fun that is really interesting i mean how many uh how many cio slash chief people officer um do you think there are out there i mean have you done a have you done a search so, so I'm not alone. I know that. I, I think you could probably count them on two hands. So, but um, th- there are other people with that title. So um, it's not completely unique, but uh, certainly unique in any of the companies that I've worked for. But, you know, I've always been passionate about, about developing teams and about culture and values and, you know, people programs and those types of things, but always more of a consumer. Um, and this time now I get to play a role in actually implementing and developing and, and influencing what we do at the company for the people. So um, it's it's nice. And you came in about, what was it? Was it like five months yeah. before the IPO? Exactly. What was that like? I mean, it, it's such a tumultuous time. Um, you're probably like right into the quiet period and you're like, what can we talk about? Um, but what was that kind of like coming in from the business perspective, learning the IT perspective and now kind of the, the people perspective? Yeah. Well, I mean, so coming in five months before IPO, I mean, I will say that the company had been doing a really nice job sort of, you know, getting ready. But even when you're getting ready, the real work starts after you go public. Um, so in many ways, it's, it, you know, they, they knew it was time to bring somebody in to, to help 
you know, focus on things like compliance and security and those types of things. And so it made a lot of sense. So when I came in, probably spent a little more energy on the business transformation that we're going through because it was so critical to kind of the outlook and the future and and what the company was talking about in terms of who they are in the market. Um, so I spent probably a little more time on that, but all those transformations had such a heavy IT component, right? That it allowed me to get pretty deep on the IT side as well. But, you know, it was a great time to come in in many ways because um, I got to enjoy um, watching a company go public and there had been people a lot longer than me yeah. there had been working their tails off to make it happen. But um, so timing wise, it, it made a lot of sense. You see a lot of companies starting to, as they get close, looking at, hey, we need to we need to really look at IT and operations a little more strategically than you do when you're in startup mode. So, I mean, then since then, really, like I said, it's really about once you go public, that quarterly pressure, yep. right? You know, things are real and public. And, and so that's where really getting into, you know, sort of focusing in on what are the biggest priorities for us to do to make sure that the we're supporting the company to deliver on, you know, the numbers and deliver on our strategies. So um, the work really starts post. <laughs> You know, we talk to a lot of IT leaders that kind of grew up in IT. And one of the things that they have focused on throughout their entire career is like starting to gain this, you know, seat at the table that we've kind of talked about and kind of making sure that they're partnering with business in the right way. You've worked at companies like FireEye, Autodesk, McAfee, Oracle on the business side. Um, what was it kind of like going into the organization, having to learn IT? Like, how did you um, have to, you know, not partner with your own organization, but kind of develop um, that sense of teamwork and everything with with the team that you had? Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting because um, I joke that when I first stepped into the CIO role that to a certain extent, it was a little bit of payback and karma for all the engagement I had <laughs> yeah. with IT leaders in my career because um, it's not an easy role. And uh, you know, I realized that I maybe um, didn't cr- really understand um, sort of how complex and difficult some of those things were. But it was interesting as the conversation about me stepping into a CIO role, CIO role even started, it was um, my initial reaction Um, which I think would be similar to many folks, but even probably particular women was initially, I was like, why would you want me to do this? I've never done it before. I can't do this. How could I possibly step into this? And as I was really talking to, you know, the team and ultimately um, the gentleman that, that, you know, hired me for the role who I knew, he's like, I want somebody that's thinking about this from a business perspective and knows how to build teams, knows how to develop teams, knows how to execute. To me, IT is another important operation for the organization. And I expect you'll go find the technical skills you need, you know, to go be successful in doing that. So I'm not looking for you to build and architect the network. I'm looking for you to find the team that's going to build and and architect that secure network for us, et cetera. So the more we talked about it, I realized, look, the skills that I've developed over time around leadership and all those things were really what were going to be most important. And even in IT, it's always about risk. It's about business value and the decision-making process is the same as it is on the business side. Now, in terms of being able to partner effectively with the organization, I did have, you know, both of the CIO roles that I've had, I've had the advantage of sitting at the CIO or CEO staff level, right? So, I mean, I have been able to come in where there was recognition from the beginning that it was important that it was looked at as 
as an important function in the organization. But I also do feel like I have an ability to have conversations with my business partners in a different way, because in many cases it's like, you know, I've run sales operations, I've run channel operations. I really can help, you know, partner with you to figure out how do we solve these problems or innovate around the things that you need to innovate around. And, you know, I'm not trying to learn the business and then also try to help them solve problems. So I've also in my operational roles had to work really closely with IT, right, to deliver, you know, transformation projects and those types of things. So. From, from the time I first moved into sales, which was many years ago at Oracle, um, it was always a conversation about how the CIO was a business person and had to be yeah, talking totally. in terms of the business, right? So this has been something that's been around for quite a long time, but with digital transformation and some of the things going on, I think it's getting a lot more recognition that you have to be you have to be working at that level, but also your organization has to understand that it you, they need to think this is that important to them. So how much time do you spend working in-house versus like working with customers? So I um, have been lucky that I, I get to spend a fair amount of time doing customer prospect and marketing type, type activities because in both of my CIO roles, I've been a customer of our own solutions and products. Some call it eating your own dog food. I prefer to drink our own champagne. Yeah, there but, you go. You know, I, I mean, so it's been really great because I have a sales background. I love being you know, engaged, but it also is a reminder to me as a CIO is why we do what we do, right? It, it, it's it's so much more um, satisfying when you know the products that you're helping the company go build, et cetera, are making an impact in the market, but also that I really understand the problems that we solve and how to leverage the technology, um, whether it be security technology or whatever. So, I mean, I and, and again, it also makes it you know, sometimes remind you why we do the hard work that we do on the IT side, because ultimately it is about the customer and the business. So um, I love that. And, and frankly, it'd be a lot harder to do the job if I didn't have that outlet. So percentage wise, I mean, it's not more than 20% of my time, um, but you know, I get to do a lot of fun stuff at RSA. I yeah. get to work with partners a lot. So I really, really, um, that makes me motivated to go do the things that we need to do. Any fun insights from RSA this year? Uh, fun insights. Well, Four Scout is, um, I believe, has one of the most popular parties that take place at RSA. So this Ooh. year we had Paris Hilton spinning the discs and no we had way. Pitbull um, perform. Really? So, um, you know, it was a, you know, it's a really important promotional event for the company. And, totally. Um, so that's, I guess, one of my inside scoops that I got to see Pitbull this year at RSA. But um, no, I mean, I, I tell you, I mean, RSA every year is fascinating, right? It's... Um, there are always a key set of messages and it gets really confusing because it seems like every company that's exhibiting there solves that problem. So um, I always find it a great event to kind of learn what else is going on in the market, but recognize how much confusion there is sometimes in the technology space because everything starts to sound the same. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. I want to talk about um, cyber risk, you know, across both um, IT and OT domains and specifically about like, what are some of these challenges facing security and IT? And we can get in a little bit into the blending of like who owns IT mm -hmm. uh, after this, but I, let, let's do some of the challenges first. Well, it, you know, it's interesting that the challenges, um, you know, hey, the, the ultimate challenge, right, is that the threats out there are real. And, and you know, there are certainly um, threat actors that are, are looking to do bad things in, in organizations of any size. But I think when you really think about it from the, the you know, sort of, CIO, uh, IT, or, or even CISO perspective that where 
some of the biggest breaches and where some of the um, the big headlines have really come from is really getting your arms around the foundational security problems that need to be solved. So, you know, you often find out that through credential stealing or things like that, that, you know, that ultimately it wasn't that sophisticated of an attack, right? It was just finding that one window into the organization that, that somebody could take advantage of. So that adage of, you know, you need to be 100% protected all the time. Bad guy only needs to be right one time to be able to potentially do something, um, you know, or wreak havoc in your environment. So I think I we really like talk about things in terms of it's, it's there's a lot of fundamentals that, that organizations need to be doing. And in order to really do those fundamentals well, it's a combination of technology, but it's things like orchestration and automation. You know, it's things like looking at ways to leverage you know, multiple investments and um, get more from those investments that you made. So um, it's about, you know, productivity uh, because there's certainly always as much as there's an interest in investing in security and making sure that you're reducing risk. There's also like, wow, there's been a lot of investments in security. So how do we make sure that we're really getting the most out of those investments? But um, it's technology, it's people, it's process. It's a combined thing that's really going to help companies be more protected. But it's focusing on the absolute basics most of the time. And who do you think at the company, like, sh- I guess I don't want to say should own this, yep. um, but, you know, we talk to CIOs who own security. We talk to CIOs that have a CISO that reports to them. Um, we talk to, you know, companies where it's a completely separate uh, function that reports to um, someone else on, on the leadership team. Um, what are some of the best practices? I mean, there's no right way to do this, obviously. Um, but what are some of the best practices of the companies that that you've worked with? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's truly a best practice um, in the sense that, to your point, right, size of company, where the company is in their maturity level, what it is that they do in the market, Um you know, industry, like there's so many elements that play into what might be the right model for a company at any given time. And I also think it changes over time. Right. So, I mean, my experience um, is in both situations. I've, I've been responsible for security. I hate to say I owned it because in the end it's everybody that owns security for the company. That's exactly right. Yep. But I had responsibility for it. And, um, I, you know, in, in one case I had a CISO reporting to me that had a, a, a reasonably, size team at Forescout, we're a little leaner and meaner. We're operating more at the director of information security level, but we'll expand and grow from there. But in terms of responsibility, um, you know, I've always clearly understood, hey, it's it's my responsibility. And if I have to make, you know, trade-off decisions about budget and where money's spent, you have to look at security very different and separate from how you look at the rest of the things that that you need to deliver for the business. So it goes back to people, but there is this, I understand, you know, built-in assumption that CIOs don't always understand or think that security is important, or if they have to make choices about money, they always choose, you know, other initiatives and they shortchange security. And I think those are, you know, I think I'm sure those things happen out there, but as companies grow, if compliance is a big, um, you know, sort of important priority for a company, those all things might change and shift where a CISO should should reside. But no matter what, in the end, there is going to be some sort of connection back to your IT operations and the sort of operational side of security that means that regardless of the reporting structure, those companies have to 
be on the same page, have to be aligned and have to agree on what the priorities are. It's not going to work completely separate, right? So no matter what reporting structure aside, that partnership has to be there. So how do you see, I mean, I guess discuss in, um, in, uh, in Ian's terms here, uh, <laughs> the difference between IT and OT and how um, specifically like how you're looking at that at Forescout. Yeah. So um, IT is really focused around your traditional corporate systems and and all of the operations that you have to run the business. Um, typically thinking about, you know, campus networks, data centers, it's, it's the internal um, systems, even if they might be in the cloud, but it's this thing that you sort of own and, and leverage to run the business. Um, very traditional. On the OT side, those are typically sort of critical business services that organizations have. And it can be anything from IoT, meaning printers, cameras, uh, HVAC systems, but it can also be much more business critical than that. If you look at, for example, utilities and industrial companies that have systems that have been running for years that really run the operation of, say, uh, a nuclear power plant or whatever that is. And those technologies are often um, not or they traditionally were not connected to the yeah, internet totally. in any yep. way, but that now has certainly changed because there's so much benefit and value in having those connections. More and more those um, systems need to interact with cor- corporate systems. Where does a billing system end and a, a system that's tracking somebody's um, uh, electricity usage, right? Like where does those end? What's corporate? What's OT, right? So more and more of these things need to talk to each other and communicate. And as they come online, that creates risk. What you find on the OT side is that many of those systems are very proprietary. Um, In many cases, they cannot be taken down for patching or routine things that you can do on the corporate side as necessary. So the whole approach and philosophy for how you kind of get visibility around those OT systems, around how you identify where there might be risk or vulnerability, how you apply policies to them has to be looked at very differently. So as much as some of the you know, traditional techniques that have been out there and managing a a traditional corporate environment, some of that does apply. There's a whole different level of passive discovery that needs to happen and things that um, make make securing those systems um, a little bit more unique and often traditional technology alone is not going to do it. Um, So we certainly, you know, at at Forescout look at that entire problem and um, so recently acquired a company that they focus completely on how do you do you know visibility and device control in those IT environments. So um, and more and more it's converging on who's responsible for those things. It used to be line of business was responsible for the OT side, um, and then you know IT was responsible for the corporate side. But more and more um, they're looking at at more clear single ownership to make sure that. Um, we're using a lot of the same, um, at least compliance approaches and those types of things, because there has been a lack of visibility on the OT side as to where risk might even be. And so like an example of the OT side would be um, like the casino that got hacked with through the fish tank, right? It's like something yeah. that traditionally yeah. was not a connected yeah. or thing. Or it could be the brains behind, you know, a, you know, a nuclear power plant or something like yeah, that, it could be. right? Yeah, I mean, it can be, it's that extreme, right? As to OT, it can be defined a lot of different ways, but yes, you're exactly right. Do you think that with, you know, one of the pieces that is the most challenging is the governance of these different 
systems and how they all blend together. I mean, you, you know, talking about the visibility of, uh, you know, unified device to visibility, we've talked at length on the podcast about shadow IT and the problems that that, that has created over time. And now you have a lot of CIOs that fully embrace that of, yeah, hey, if the business comes to me with something like it's my job to be the trusted advisor and to help them look into this and figure out what the best technology is to use. Do you see governance as like a huge problem kind of going forward? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd say it's a problem, but I would say it's super important, right? Like that, that you know, you, it, it's hard to have separate governance or whatever. And you, you, you made the main point, right? Before you even worry about governance, it's um, do you have the visibility you need, right? I mean, yeah. do you really understand everything that's going on in your environment? And I think that that's where a, a lot of companies struggle because they 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 think, hey, I think I'm okay, but how do you know if you don't have complete visibility to everything that's going on? So I think a lot of it is around, hey, how do you solve that problem? But also, how, how do you have some consistent ways of understanding what's going on because when you when you separate all these things um it may make sense in terms of hey um i know i have these dedicated resources i know what they they're spending their time doing and i'm sure they're doing the things i want but if you don't have sort of broader oversight and governance as to what are our risk um what what are we willing to take on from a risk perspective and and more importantly than anything when when there's an audit or something like that can i answer the questions that need to be answered um, or if there's something like a wanna cry, do I know every system that I need to go out and remediate against? So it all starts with visibility, but then having some policy and govern governance on top of that is the next next thing. Switching gears to innovation, how do you view innovation at Forescout, and how are you looking at you know employees and citizen development and hackathons um, and folks like both internal and external to the organization. Um, how do you look at new technologies and acquire new technology and all of that? Um, and I know it's a loaded question because um, there's a lot of different moving parts in there. But uh, curious to see your approach on on how innovation happens. Yep. So a, a couple of things when I when it, you initially say how do you think about innovation at at Forescout. I initially go to the innovation that our engineering team is doing around our our products, right? I mean, because I look at the, you know, the problems that they're trying to solve and the focus on innovation on that side. That's what immediately comes to mind, which may not be a good thing because I'm supposed to be innovating, obviously, as a CIO. So I think when I when I talk to people in terms of innovation, I, I think innovation has to be in the context of problems. Um, so innovation for the sake of innovation in the company my size is difficult to do, but if I can identify where there's real need and a problem and then be able to come up with an innovative way to solve that, whether it's working with some new startup technology that's coming out. But the one thing I find as a CIO is I, I could spend all day, every day talking to a hundred companies that, that um, have great technology and they wanna talk about their technology. And what I say is, let's talk about my problems and then let's see if your technology helps helps me solve some of those problems. So, you know, I get we're a pretty lean and mean, you know, IT organization specifically at Forescout. So when I think of innovation, a lot of it's around the transformation the company's trying to do. Dabbling innovation, we haven't had a ton of time to do that. But where we do try to do it is, hey, uh, you know, we've got a challenge where we're not able to scale our IT service desk team yeah. at the rate we're hiring employees. How do I use cool new technology to 
change how I solve that problem through AI, crowdsourcing, whatever it is. So that's where we try to do it is look at what's the real business problem we're trying to solve and is there an innovative way to solve it? Let's get into AI and machine learning. What are you excited about? What are you looking at? How has um, kind of AI and the ratio changed in in your years and, and what what type of stuff are you looking at right now? So we're doing a lot with it on the how do we... Uh, provide better services and visibility to our customers, right? So again, if I look at, you know, what we're doing around cloud and things like that and where we're moving, right? AI and machine learning becomes a critical point of that. When I look at our, you know, sort of internal, you know, services that we provide and, and problems that we need to solve, the reality is, you know, the whole core of AI and machine learning is a, a, a data set, right? Yeah. That allows you to learn. And when I look at an organization our size, we don't have a whole lot of data to do it ourselves, but where I see a lot of promise and, and we're looking at some interesting things is where you bring data together from a bunch of companies, right? Um, in an anonymized way that, okay, now I get the benefit of big data and being able to leverage these technologies because I um, I, I have a big data set that I can yeah, use totally. to do it. Yeah, how do you do that? That's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, so again, I, and I, I see this uh, in a lot of areas beyond just some of the traditional IT things. I see it in, you know, different approaches to how people forecast their business. There's, there's this tremendous learning that can happen when you bring a bunch of data together. And one company alone, you know, especially a company for scout size, isn't going to have enough of it to be able to really leverage those cool technologies. But if they can find ways to leverage it in more of a crowdsourced way, then I think it can bring a lot of value. Yeah, it was interesting. We um, one of the early episodes of IT Visionaries, we talked to um, the CTO of a, of a startup called JobScan, and she was talking about how you know, and this they're they're working a lot on on training um, their their machine learning and, and AI capabilities. Um, and we were talking about the advantage of big company versus small company and how they need to use a lot of publicly available data because they don't have a ton. And it's one of those things where big companies often things feel like they move at a glacial pace. And, you know, it's like trying to, um, you know, to move a Titanic, whereas, you know, in a, uh, in a startup, it's like the, the waves are crashing around you, but at least you're in a speedboat so you can kind of maneuver around and getting creative with publicly available data was one of the huge advantages that they were really thinking creatively because they had, you know, those constraints. Um, but I think it's a fascinating thing of looking at, um, other organizations, data and, and different sort of, um, ways to, to kind of leverage that stuff when you're just not making that much of it yourself. Right. Right. I mean, there are companies out there obviously that have yeah. tremendous data, right. That you really can apply these things to. Then there's others where it's like, yeah, I, I've got data, but we're not talking about the data sets that you really need to be able to, to, to truly get going on that stuff. I also say there's, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, there's companies that are, are, um, starting up that solve really specific and important business problems using, you know, AI and machine learning techniques. But I also kind of look at this as potentially the next platform versus a bunch of point solutions that, that have built sort of specific use cases and, and solve specific problems. So, but again, it, it all starts with big data and, and there's a lot of companies that have it, but there's a lot of companies that, you know, just because of size and scale aren't going to have it yet. Um, plus the resource set is hard to come by. I mean, it is sought after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the other final piece. Yeah. Of this is to, to get, I mean, there's a reason why, um, 
you know, a lot of these like nano degrees and um, boot camps, <laughs> stuff like that are focused on yeah. data scientists and, yeah. um, and machine learning engineers and all that. Yeah. You had an, a really interesting uh, creation, a uh, little entrepreneurship going on at Forescout uh, and you created the Forescout Women's Network. Tell me about that. So um, I'll definitely say we, because um, it really kind of came about because there was a bunch of energy from the women at the company that were like, we should really do something, right? Build a community, but not just build a community, also kind of really think about how do we want to impact diversity and in, in gender balance and those types of things within the company. And um, I was... Um, one of the lucky executives, and I, I share the sponsorship with um, a gentleman that runs a big chunk of our sales organization, Niels. And jointly, we said, okay, we'll be the executive sponsors. We'll get a core team going. We'll start thinking about how do we bring this to life at Forescout. But um, really what we needed was the community to engage. So we actually had a big event today where we're a little late in celebrating um, International Women's Day. Not that we didn't know it happened, but it was right around RSA and we we really wanted the executive team to be involved and therefore we had to put it out a couple weeks. But, um, you know, we talk about everything from how are we really going to make a difference and have measurable goals that kind of say, hey, we're making an impact. And it's as much about bringing diverse talent into the organization as it is keeping diverse talent in the organization. But there's a big element, like I said, of just community around it so that people can see there's other people like them that have probably struggled and had similar challenges. And it's a safe place to try to understand that, be open about what what folks are facing as they try to build their career as they try to balance things between work and home, right? So we just wanted to really create that opportunity. And I will say we have a lot of men uh, that are in our Four Scout Women's Network and proudly wear their their t-shirts with pink in it. And they are really big, you know, contributors because we're not going to solve the problem with a bunch of women in a room saying, hey, there's a problem. So, um, so it's really taken on a life. We've only been at it for about 10 months. Um, and, um, you know, we see numbers headed in the right direction, although the, the movement isn't significant, it's going in the right direction, which is step one. Um, but also everybody's thinking differently about job descriptions. Um, we're really specific about having to women or, uh, interview at least one diverse candidate for any director level and above position, but really encourage people to do it way beyond that. Um, so there's a lot of things that we're trying to do and it is something that, that I've got a lot of passion around, but I will also say the reason it's, it's, it's starting to make an impact is because everybody's super excited about it. Yeah. I think it's one of those obvious things in retrospect, when you look at the way you recruit, the way you retain, the way you promote. And if you like, as with anything in business, if you don't have a goal, like, like if you're not measuring and if you don't have a goal, there's no way to meet it. When I used to work with, um, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but um, I used to work with companies on on building diversity initiatives. And one of the things that we always said was, if you have, you know, uh, whatever, however many, uh, a million dollars of budget every year that you put towards recruiting and probably 990,000 is going towards engineers. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, if you, if you have a million dollars and you want to get to, uh, you know, X percent of military veterans and X percent of, you know, whatever else you should probably at a minimum be putting, you know, X percent of that budget into recruiting those people. Um, and probably a little extra if you're, if you're at a Delta right now, if you're only at 7% or whatever it is and you want to get to 15 or, or what, whichever. And I think it's kind of the, that thing that people 
don't realize that it's all of these relationships are are one to one. Like it's it's hand to hand combat, right? You need to convince people singularly to join the team because you know that's what matters. And having something like uh, women's network, I think, is is super powerful for folks that want that sort of thing. Like some people don't, some people do, but the people that do, if you don't have one, then you have no chance. Um, and I think that it more than anything just shows that it's a focus. Uh, and, and that's what people, you know, I think ultimately want to see because ultimately like we all just want to be good at our jobs (laughs) and progress in our jobs and, um, and get fair treatment. Well, and I, I mean, this was not a conversation when I started my career. Yeah. And I mean, that's what, that, you know, kind of blows my mind is, you know, I've been at this for a long time. I won't say how many years, but it's been <laughs> a long time. And, you know, we, people were not having this conversation. And to some extent there was probably, you know, more sort of acceptances, Hey, this is kind of how it is. And, you know, I'm not going to let it bother me too much. I'm going to go do my thing and, and, you know, hope it all works out in the end. Um, I didn't think a lot about, hey, I'm a woman and they're a man. I was just like, look, I'm going to have to earn it. But it, it, there's so many other elements and so many other things going on. Um, but the fact we're talking about it, like you said, and it's it's a focus and it's attention. And you know what? We'll, we'll work on those numbers. They'll never move as fast as we want. But, you know, we'll be measuring them and we'll know we need to do more. And there was a time when this just wasn't really part of the conversation. When we had uh, Layla Seika, who's the EVP of mobile at at Salesforce on the podcast, the way that um, they started, how she, the like the light bulb turned on for her um, about the, the pay gap was that she's like, wait, why are all my peers driving Teslas? <laughs> she's like, how can they afford all of these Teslas? It's like, I can't afford that. And then they like looked into the numbers or whatever. But I, and it, you know, it's a, it's a funny anecdote. I mean, it's a very serious thing, but it's, it's a funny anecdote because I think that there's some of that stuff that a lot of the people just had no idea. I mean, even, you know, Mark Benioff said, he was like, I, he was like, there's no way this is happening in my company. And then sure enough, it was. Um, but that's the sort of thing. I think that, you know, people talk about unconscious bias and things like yeah. that. But ultimately, um, you can't know unless you measure it. And that's at the end of the day, like as with all business um, things, you need to be able to measure well, it. Well, and to your point, you don't notice it till you notice it. So I um, I feel very lucky to have started my career and, and I guess ultimately likely will end my career on the West Coast, right? In the Sil- Silicon Valley. And I never thought about, hey, I'm a woman, am I getting a fair shot? Like I, I, it it wasn't something that I spent a lot of time thinking about because things were going well and had a lot of opportunity. And it was not until I um, worked for a company that was not a West Coast headquartered company and went to my very first meeting and there was two women in the room and and everyone else was a man. And that that was not abnormal for me. Didn't think twice about it until somebody assumed that I was somebody's administrative assistant. Wow. And that's when I noticed it. I'm like, wow, this is real. Um, and certainly woke me up to, hey, what can I be doing, right? To, to you know, think about it more, um, it, you know, just, you know, recommend. It's the simple things about sitting at the table and not sitting in the chairs that are outside the ring of the table, right? Like all these little things, but it was funny. I, you don't really notice it until something really kind of hits you in the face and you're like, wow, it's real. Yeah. We, um, in our, in our podcast, the story we profiled, um, one of the seasons was about women trailblazers. And one of the things that was so interesting from a lot of the ones that, um, were like trailblazing tech tech leaders, 
um, was early days in the Valley or early days in um, kind of the pre.com uh, Valley was about the fact that they're like, yeah, nobody, nobody cared because we were such good developers. <laughs> they're like, we were such good engineers. Um, you couldn't really say anything. The work just was the work. Um, and, and I think that that was one of the early things was that the work just stood on an, on itself when you're in startup world, because that's how it is. But startups grow and they get bigger and then who gets promoted. So, yep. um, I, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I appreciate, uh, you know, the, the candid discussion, because I think it's something that's super important that, that our listeners, uh, I know, care oh, about. Hey, yeah, no. And I mean, I, I, I just, in, in creating role models like these, you know, uh, trailblazers that you talk about, I mean, those are the things that we need to do so that, that women, as they're coming into the workforce, um, as well as other diverse candidates, see role models and people that have been able to do it. And, and I pretty much guarantee it, it wasn't super easy and, you know, they're not perfect and they had a lot of challenges along the way, but to, to, you know, to, to give people examples is, is the important piece that it's possible. The lightning round is brought to you by our friends at the lightning platform by Salesforce. These questions are going to be fast and easy, fast and easy questions, fast and easy answers. Fast and easy, just like the Lightning platform. Are you ready? I hope so. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I don't, fun apps? Yeah. I I, I don't have fun. Sorry. <laughs> I have a lot of great apps. I mean, I love Teams on my phone. Okay, that's that, that's sort of counts. That's a half count. <laughs> it's an um, old school. <laughs> uh, what about your favorite time-saving tool? My favorite time-saving tool. I guess my phone in general. Uh, I'll, I do I'll a take lot that. on my phone. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> Apparently about, not, but we'll go for it. What about your favorite either one day getaway in the Bay Area or favorite vacation spot? Uh, we have a place up in Sun River, Oregon, and that is my favorite place to go in the summer. Don't love it as much yeah, in the winter. Yeah, not so much in the winter. Um, what do you do for fun? Uh, fun to me is reading and learning and expanding. Um you know, my kids are all grown up and oh, fun is my dog, Marley, whom we love to death. And we waited till the kids went away to school to get a dog. And that's, that is that is just fun for me. That's dangerous. Oh, that's they're da- not happy with us, but add it to the list. <laughs> Favorite recent book? Favorite recent book. Um, ex- book I'm excited to read is... Um, Something about you're a badass. That's the one I have teed up. I haven't read it yet. Um, I did just read a really good book that was fiction. And can I remember? Oh, Educated. Enjoyed that book a lot. And that was just for fun reading. I love fun reading. Um, We do a lot of, uh, obviously, reading. We're a media company. (laughs) What technology or thing are you most excited about? I am excited about this, you know, mixing the AI machine learning stuff with crowdsourcing. Like, I think that's where companies can can really solve problems because it's hard to take advantage of those amazing technologies by yourself. So I'm pretty excited about the companies that are coming along, realizing that without a big data set, you're, you're not gonna, it's not gonna be as valuable. This is not very lightning, is it? No, that's lightning. <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite team, sports or otherwise? I love the Warriors. Go Dubs. All right. How about last question, lightning round. What is your best advice for a first time CIO? Understand the business inside and out. Know more about the end to end business than the business partners themselves. That's great advice. That's it for the lightning round. 
you can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more, where I highly recommend you should go. That's it. That's all we got for today. Any final words? Anything to plug? No, this was great. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you're, this was great. We are um, super thrilled to, to have you in studio and uh, hopefully have you back soon. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.